0: First, let me thank you very much for this very warm welcome, Mr. Kulmas, and a warm welcome to you as well. I'm very proud to be able to speak here at the DIJ Forum, because I have three different routes. The first route is an American one, so I studied in the United States law and economics. My second route is a Japanese one. I was guest researcher here at Todai, and my third route is European one. So I try to compare Europe with the United States and Japan and I'm very much interested in corporate governance because it's one of the essential factors of international competitive nowadays and I'm interested in corporate governance as an economist most because I'm studying institutions and institutions are rules together with their enforcement systems and then under this definition legal rules are just a subset of institutions but the term of institution is broader we may study other forms of institutions as well formal rules and informal rules and we find out that our approach is too narrow if we confine that approach to a legal approach. And so comparative law, in the old sense, doesn't reveal the whole picture. So I'm more interested of how institutions function and how they are interrelated, and I'm very much interested in looking beyond legal rules. So I want to speak to you about different models on corporate governance first then I'm having a very critical look on the so-called shareholder approach and I look into the US American roots. Sometimes it is very helpful to have a look into history and to see what we call path dependence. Very often historical developments put their stamp on developments in the future. And then I start with the typical hypothesis that we have a growing pressure on German, Japanese and the Chinese corporate governance model. Why that pressure? Mr. Kulmas mentioned globalization and globalization is nothing more than more international competition so other players compete in our markets and we do this in foreign markets and so not only the product markets today are very closely interrelated but capital markets as well and one of the driving forces for globalizing corporate governance models is the globalization of capital markets but then I shall have a closer look into the traditional German approach. Mr. Kulmas has already mentioned codetermination. I have a short look into the Japanese approach. I de- don't think it's necessary to go into details here in Tokyo when it comes to the Japanese approach to corporate governance. But then I have another look into the Chinese system so I had been consultant to the Chinese government several times and in the field of corporate law as well and it's very interesting to note that we have different layers now of Chinese corporate law and corporate governance and this is paradigmatic so we have German origins and then we have new layers of US influence and sometimes this very much reminded me of what did take place in Japan after 1945 then I come to the comparison and I try to answer the question will there be convergence of different models of corporate governance or as people of the World Bank say will the only right approach win the shareholder approach you will see I'm a little bit skeptical about that you know corporate governance is an artificial term it had been invented by a scholar one of the founders of the new subdiscipline, new institutional economics Oliver Williamson he invented this term in order to demonstrate that governance is not just government, but it's government and control of government. So, he thought it would be necessary to develop a new term, and this term is not only being used today in the field of corporate governance, but in field of public governance as well, and many social scientists who study the theory of democracy, they find their own subject being redefined today as public governance. The underlying problem, the historical problem of governance structures in the enterprise is the moment when the entrepreneur needs capital. So in the world of Schumpeter, The entrepreneur was doing his own business, creating new products, uh, conquering markets, and having enough capital. But the moment you need capital, you will have to specialize. There will be a division of labor between those who supply management, maybe those who supply know-how, and those who supply capital. So the problem came up with dispersed ownership. So, when you had many stockholders of a company and no one of these stockholders was in control of the company, and in that moment there was discretionary power of management. So, the term which was coined in 1932 by Berle & Means was the separation between ownership and control. Those who own the companies do no longer control the company, and those who control the company do not own the company. So now a new game starts. And we have to develop control structures of a business enterprise so we may define corporate governance as a game between certain actors that's what interesting for economists and management sides but we have two levels we have the game as such decision within rules and we have the rules of the game and we call this the second level decision on rules and sometimes you find the term corporate governance used in the first sense. How does the controlled structure of the business enterprise looks like? That's the first question. And the other question is what quality have the different rules which form the framework for corporate governance. And one of the typical mistakes of lawyers who are interested in corporate governance, they are just interested in the rules, not in the game as such. And institutional economists, they are interested, does the game differ under different sets of rule? What are the implications of changes of rules, so we apply the instrument of economics to study institutions. Who are the participants of this game? We should start with a very broad range of participants, shareholders, management, managers, employers, creditors, etc so we are interested in the game they play and the way we organize this game so we have to devise rules for this game has two different impacts the first impact is on capital markets because if I want to have access to capital market it matters what will be the position of shareholders because under the perspective of shareholders this is an issue of how risky the investment is so bad controlled structures mean higher risk premium but the other aspect is the relevance for productive efficiency and this second aspect had been undervalued in the discussion during the last 20 years because productive efficiency is dependent on efficient management so the moment you over control management there might be a trade-off between the efficiency of capital markets and productive efficiency and especially in the US American debate this aspect is sometimes neglected. So, altogether, governance structures matter for the international competitiveness of a national economy, and I think this is the reason why we are interested in comparative corporate governance. Maybe that we are still a little bit national, we think is our own corporate governance system fit for international competition. If you look into the literature we have different models. We have the so-called outsider model or outsider system where management is controlled by outsiders. That means mainly by markets. Two kinds of markets. Product markets if a business enterprise is not successful in the product market and profits are being affected then pressure will rise to fire management and the other system of outsider control is the market for control, for management control, the takeover market. So those who stress the outsider system They are a little bit optimistic that takeover markets really fulfill their functions. But the empirical evidence is a little bit different. So many of the takeovers, they do not produce wealth, they rather destroy wealth. And some of these takeovers should rather be uh, re engineered so like Daimler Keisler it did never really create wealth so I'm a little bit skeptical whether the main the central hypothesis of outsider controlled system is working then we have the insider system and the insider system means that management is controlled by insiders and Mainly, we think of banks, banks who give capital to the business enterprise. They have a very strong control position. But in the insider system, we also put co-determination that employees have supervisory powers over management and they are insiders. But if we are correct, control by shareholders should be named an insider system because shareholders are insiders. So I think the distinction is a little bit clearer when we distinguish between the shareholder-oriented corporate governance and the stakeholder-oriented corporate governance. And shareholder corporate governance means that corporate governance is to be designed in a manner that capital markets function efficiency, efficiently so the aspect is one of regulation of capital markets in a shareholder-oriented approach corporate governance is just one tool in the toolbox for regulating capital markets when it comes to the opposite model to the stakeholder oriented corporate governance system and then we come back to the picture of the game we ask who is participating in that game There are the shareholders there are the employees the creditors the managers and all these actors they have a stake in the business enterprise and they are called stakeholders and you see shareholders are stakeholders as well but stakeholder-oriented governance means a normative position that management should take into account not only the interests of shareholders, but of other stakeholders as well. So you see that the German codetermination system is a typical stakeholder approach But it's focusing on one group of stakeholders. But in practice, in the old German system, if you had a look on the supervisory board, you found employees and representatives of the banks. So you had two groups of stakeholders being represented. And then it seems rather odd we have the management approach if we go back into history we have an approach we find an approach which says shareholders are nasty they have to provide capital but they should not intervene what counts is the business enterprise as such that was rathenau the unternehmen an sich so it was the idea that the business enterprise is an autonomous entity but the question arises it have has to raise capital and so the modern management approach is just putting the question a little bit around the question of the new management approach is what sort of governance structure Should management offer to potential investors to get capital equity at favorable terms? You see, that's a market play. So corporate governance in this approach is an offer of the management to investors in the capital market. And it's like in the mirror, in the shareholder oriented approach you start with the investor and you ask what type of corporate governance structure should be designed in order to serve the interest of the investor and then you put the mirror around and you say what type of governance structure should management offer the one difference is that management is directly interested not only in favorable terms for capital, for equity, but is as much interested in productive efficiency as well. Let's have a closer look into the shareholder approach. So we start with the phenomenon of dispersed ownership, the publicly held company. This leads to specialization and then to division of labor. So we have experts who run the company, the managers. And in that moment, the ownership and control problem arises. In terms of modern management theory, we now distinguish between principles and agents. In this approach, the shareholders are assumed to be the principals and they delegate power to agents so they employ managers that's the picture because they want to make use of the advantage of specialization of division of labor but then we have to make the assumption that all actors are acting self-interested and rationally So managers would look to their own interest as well and we have an information asymmetry. The moment you delegate powers, the agent is automatically better informed than the principal. And it does not make sense then to give more and more information to the principal in order to allow him to better control management because then you destroy the benefits from division of labor. So it's rational for the investor, for the principal not to be wholly informed. We call this the phenomenon of rational ignorance or we may go one step further of rational apathy. He's not interested in running the company himself he's interested in having a nice return on investment so in that moment we had a new design the design if shareholders as principals cannot and should not supervise management for themselves it's too costly why shouldn't they employ agents who supervise agents? So the idea is then, that we have supervising agents and management. And you see the hypothesis behind that is that the agent employ to control and supervise management, would rather collude with the principal and not with management that's always the difficulty if you have a model with one principal and two agents but then in the typical shareholder approach we have the dilemma of the board system the board system or the one tier system means that the most important organ of a business enterprise is the board which may then nominate members of the board as managing directors so you have no no clear-cut distinction between management and supervision of management now let's have a look into American history we had this phenomenon of big companies with dispersed ownership since the late 19th century and the other feature which is important we had no national social security system that means people depend on acquisition of stocks In order to provide for their pensions so this is a political feature which is decisive for the design of American corporate governance and there are two other features we should take into account corporate law that means the internal organization law of a business enterprise in the US system is state law but you have a choice of law under the US system so you may run a company and register the company under Delaware law so you have a competition between corporate laws in the United States and one of the results of this what we call institutional competition is that the different states tried to make an optimal internal organization model but they were not interested in protecting shareholders as they act in capital markets so you see the focus of corporate law is different from a focus regulating capital markets. So securities regulation, that is regulation of capital markets, is federal law in the United States. So now you have two poles. You have corporate law which focuses on internal organization on the one side, state law, and ninety percent of the listed companies are registered under Delaware charters in the United States and on the other side you have securities regulation which has started after the crash in 1929 and which is now a very diversified regulation of capital markets with a huge bureaucracy the Securities and Exchange Commission the SEC but we have to have first a look into the corporate governance aspects in U.S. corporate law as well. If shareholders are not satisfied with management, they may try to fire management. And the typical rule, the rules for that game, how to fire management, is you have to look for a majority in the shareholders meeting. So you give your voting rights to so-called proxies. And it's very interesting that in US corporate law, you have very detailed regulations on proxy fights. That is empowering shareholders, these proxy rights. But as I've mentioned, the board system as such is dysfunctional because the board members are normally selected by managers and they look for good friends on the board. So there cannot be efficient supervision by the board in this one tier system unless you introduce drastic reforms. And this was the picture with the big scandals like WorldCom and Enron happened. What was the essence of these scandals? Financial reporting and accounting. So management was cheating. Was not only cheating shareholders, that would be a matter of internal organization, but cheating investors in capital markets. So you see, both sides of the coins are affected. Corporate law, internal organization, and regulation of capital markets. So the response was the so-called Sarbanes-Oxley Act. It started with enforcing regulation of financial reporting. It was not the essence, the substance of financial reporting which was reformed, but the enforcement system. The enforcement system did not function and now a very interesting feature you may enforce a financial reporting system by outside control by auditors, by SEC and the real invention of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act was the following one applying internal instruments as an enforcement system for financial reporting so the idea was to introduce new tools and the one tool which is really important the introduction of independent directors on the board and guess the germans and japanese cheered this is the reinvention of the supervisory board now we have independent directors (laughs) who should supervise and monitor the activities of management but behind that remember it was a national scandal and the reply should be on the national level but corporate law which governs these internal structures is state law so The really interesting feature of Sarbanes-Oxley Act is that you used securities regulation, which is federal law, in order to strengthen internal control structures of corporations. This is a real mix. You can only explain this mix being a lawyer and knowing what powers are allocated on which level and you see now the internal organizational structures are being enforced by the SEC a federal agency so you see this was shifting powers from the state level to the federal level with implications so this ambiguous structure of the sorbens Oxley Act means securities regulation by means of introducing new internal control structures to put that in one sentence but in the moment you regulate capital markets the activities of every actor should be governed by these rules who makes use of the capital market it's not necessary that a business enterprise who makes use of the US capital market is registered in the United States. So Japanese companies, or German companies, going to the New York Stock Exchange are now automatically under the jurisdiction of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, because it's not corporate law, because it's securities regulation the idea behind that is to protect US American stockholders. In order to better protect them you have to apply your securities regulation extraterritorially. You may call this neo-imperialism because you extend the power of your own legal regime to actors outside your Mm -hmm. legal regime. But the Real level behind that is the attractiveness of U.S. capital markets. Only if investors and if business enterprises think that the American capital market is more attractive than the European one or the Asian ones, then it makes sense to pay the price to enter that market. So Sarbanes-Oxley Act may be now understood as the entrance fee for the U.S. American capital market. It's a precondition for that access, but it leads automatically to frictions between U.S. securities regulation and national corporate laws of Japan, German and Chinese companies. What about these frictions? Remember, you have the two-tier system in Germany. I may remind you that it was only introduced in 1884 after big scandals in Germany in that century. But then look to the other features. You have block holdings, you have cross holdings, and you have centralized groups of companies in Germany. So the company with the dispersed ownership is not the one model in Germany. Corporate governance. You have universal banks as main suppliers of capital. And in 1976, you had the introduction of codetermination on the level of the supervisory board. Now the supervisory board has a double function. Now you have one agent, that's management, and you have two principals, shareholders and employees. And guess, will it function or not? it will automatically lead to more discretion of the agent because he can play either with one principle or the other. There may be collusion between management and employees. We have seen examples even with big German car companies or collusion between management and shareholders. So the effect was strengthening management, and the official concept is stakeholder approach, but that's more the surface. You say, okay, management has to take into account the interest of all stakeholders. Let me short glimpse on the traditional Japanese approach. You have the two, you had the two-tier system but what was essential there was not dispersed ownership the Zaibatsu system had been replaced by the Kiretsu system and the Kiretsu system may be described as a loose network but with some links between the various companies which automatically strengthens the management level not the shareholder level and. There was a very strong position of banks, universal banks, as in Germany as well. And for a very long time, the expansion time after World War II, there was no need to raise capital on international capital markets. So the real picture was no rights of shareholders represented at the shareholders' meetings. There are many jokes about shareholders' meetings, which lasted 30 minutes, and then it was over, and everybody got a new nice envelope with some money in it and that was shareholder rights this is a management controlled system the old Chinese approach after the reforms which started in 81 People's Republic of China introduced the two-tier system the German model but without effective co-determination so it could function but there was no real power vested in the supervisory board there was no access to capital markets capital had been supplied by banks because that was state control because at that time bank had been state owned so you had a management controlled systems and remember that many of these managers were the old directors from the communist system it functions like an IPO let's make a comparison so there are superficial similarities but there are relevant distinctions let's have first a look on Germany what are the relevant factors co-determination Code still block holdings and cross holdings but due to new tax law this had been watered down and What is essential in the German system is growing dependence on access to international capital markets. So to say, the importance of the German universal banking system has broken down. In Japan, you have no tradition of shareholders' democracy, so you have a problem of path dependence. And you have a very strong position of management because management is in a position to protect employees vis-a-vis shareholders. That is very similar to the different collusions in the German system. And in the People's Republic of China, we are on the way from a state-controlled economy to a mixed economy and in that stage independence of managers had been stressed so the independence of managers was one of the necessary tools in order to come from a state controlled economy to a mixed economy that was a necessary step but an intermediary step and now you have different developments under the pressure from the US system you remember pressure from the S system means if you want to use US capital markets you have to apply Sabin's Oxley Act and the new governance system introduced by that act. What about Germany? You see an attempt to protect co-determination which is difficult because then you have to define representatives of employees as independent directors. We have now a rule of the SEC, an exception rule which holds for five years. That in the next five years, the SEC will have no closer look whether employees' representatives are really independent. And what is relevant for the German picture is the US market still the one capital market? Or if you look at the developments, you had delistings in new york stock exchange and you have a rising importance of london again so we have competition not just between capital markets but we have institutional competition between different institutional frameworks and sarbanes-oxley act turns out to be a disadvantage a competitive disadvantage for us capital markets, and in Germany, which is interesting, which is not very often noted by economists, we have an option for a shift to the one-tier system because the European Court of Justice has open choice of law that we may register a company in the United Kingdom and do business in Germany so we may register a company with a one-tier system and what about co-determination there is no supervisory board anymore anymore so you see that's the effect of institutional competition what about Japan Japan has introduced a so-called modular system in terms of corporate governance this means the system is opening options for Japanese business enterprises you may either stick to the old management system or you may choose the US system with the audit committee with independent directors. I think up to now about 10% of the listed companies in Japan have opted for the modern system and what is interesting for me is this is a learning process so you can see how business enterprises are doing well or not, under different systems of rules on corporate governance. This is still going on. Let's have a look on the People's Republic of China. We had with the last company law reform, the introduction of the one-tier system with remnants of the old two-tier system. But if you have a closer look on the so-called independent directors in Chinese company law, The remuneration is less than to pay the taxi for the shareholders meeting. So it's paper law, it's law in the books, it's not law in action. On the other side, you have a corporate governance code, but which had been enacted by the government. So control of corporate governance structures turns out in the People's Republic of China to be a substitute for regulation of companies. This is the driving force behind the scene. And my last comparison what about legal transplants? What happens if you transplant certain legal rules from one legal system into another? So, in Germany, the audit committee under Sabenz Oxley had been translated into the supervisory board, but that's cheating because we have real difficulties with the independence of independent directors which is not only true for the representatives for the employees but for other members of the supervisory board as well and we have the same problem in Japan where to find really independent directors so they must have the expertise to supervise management but they have to be independent from management. And in the People's Republic of China, independent directors are just a fake. It's tied to regulation. The problem will be in the future access to capital markets outside Asia. Now I come to the end. Convergence. The introduction of the Sarbanes Oxley Act. Had two effects first raising cost of US capital markets that's the delisting issue that's nice for European capital markets isn't it might be invention of London of the city and the second effect is quite interesting there is no measurable effect in empirical studies of new corporate governance structures. So theory tells us better corporate governance, that is the shareholder approach, should lead to better access to capital markets. So it should drive down capital cost. But we have no empirical evidence on that. We have neither evidence on that in Japan. We know in German Germany German corporate law is not consistent with Sarbanes-Oxley act but my guess is that in the light of competition between capital markets the SEC will not really enforce the Sarbanes-Oxley act on German companies with co-determination because there would be a new wave of delisting yeah you see we have legal factors and the driving forces are market forces in Japan the success of the new corporate governance system will depend on relative attractiveness of US capital markets if there are many Japanese companies who have to go to yes capital markets then a higher proportion will opt for the new model but I'm a little bit skeptical. There will be more competition in international capital markets in the future. And last not least, what about the People's Republic of China? We have a dysfunctional corporate governance and this poses a problem of comparative disadvantage on Chinese business enterprises in international competition. And again, the new corporate governance system will depend on relative attractiveness of U.S. capital markets but with my prediction that the relative importance of U.S. capital markets will not be regained my prediction is there will be no convergence on governance structures we will have different systems and we have path dependence in all of these four systems i've compared and we should have a closer look of how these governance structures these rules are embedded in a framework of informal rules but that would take me more than 45 minutes thank you